Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Athletic Labs' Dr. Mike Young. Mike starts out sharing with us, you know, what personally is going on with his athletes down there in North Carolina, and then starts to discuss the impact that working in track, soccer, and academia have had on him. He then gets into, uh, you know, how that symbiotic relationship has really developed him professionally and as a coach. And we start to elaborate even more on it with how the work in track has impacted the athletes that he works with in soccer. It's a, it is a really awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Mike, thank you so much for spending the time to sit down and talk with us today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate having me on. Yeah, man. So listen, let's, let's talk about what you guys got going on down there in North Carolina. Sure. So uh, for those of you that, that aren't familiar, I run a training center uh, in Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh, called Athletic Lab. Uh, also the fitness and sports science coach for uh, two uh, soccer clubs, uh, a women's side called North Carolina Courage, and then a men's, men's second division team uh, known as NCFC, or North Carolina Football Club. Uh, right now is kind of an interesting point in the year for us. We've got... Um, a lot of the high school kids that I that I will work with, I do work with a handful of privately. Uh, they're they've moved on to college or are kind of in this transitional period where they're not uh, training right now because they're getting ready to go to school or getting in last minute vacations. So my primary focus right now is with these two football clubs and uh, my emerging elite track and field guys that I that are just returning. So it's a an interesting point in the year because the two football clubs, soccer clubs, are. Uh, kind of wrapping things up there in the last kind of third of the year right now. And uh, that kind of dictates a lot of what we can and can't do, especially given the culture of, uh, of soccer. And then um, the track guys are very much the opposite of that. They're just kind of coming in. We just finished our second week. Uh, for those guys, I'm more than their S&C coach. I'm their actual sport coach. I've uh, got a couple multi-event guys and actually got a football guy in the group right now kind of preparing for some uh, combine prep or maybe some uh, uh, free, agent, free agent camps or that kind of thing. And uh, those guys are just kind of starting off and really ramping up. So we got two groups, one, one kind of dialing down, the other one really ramping up pretty quickly here. Um, so it's an interesting kind of case study of what we're doing to – kind of trickle feed volume and then on one side and then uh, try to maintain as much as we, we can during a course of uh, in season of a team sport where match density is really high. So, you know, covering a lot of bases there in terms of uh, how we do what we do, I guess, and 
implementing a handful of things. Uh, it's a good, uh, I guess, insight into what we do, I guess, or our general philosophy of how we how we would handle those type, very different scenarios, individual sports versus team sports, uh, preseason slash GPP versus uh, competition phase, you know, maintenance type of thing. No, that's fantastic. And it sounds like, it sounds like a college job almost really, like what goes on here. Um, But when we, when I think of, of Mike Young, I think of three things. I think of soccer. I think of athletics, track and field. And I think of academia. And when I look at those three things, there's a lot of things that can correlate together. Um, how has your work in those three different realms impacted each of the other one? So uh, I, I appreciate those three, uh, I guess, three categories, I guess. That's kind of um, I, where I've done the most work over the past couple of years. Um, first and foremost, I have started as a, as a track and field coach, and I think that has the biggest influence on me, the biggest influence – on my coaching career, I've been track and field guys. I think track and field is kind of the mother sport. Uh, when, when people ask, uh, people come in and, you know, I work with everything from rugby to world championship dog agility athletes and soccer guys and American football and everything. And they go, oh, you're a track guy. I used to hear that all the time. You're a track guy. And I'd say, well, how about this? I'm not a track guy. I'm a, I'm a guy that makes you run fast. I'm a guy that makes you jump far, jump high, throw far, run, run for a long period of time. That's what I am. That just happens to be our sport in track and field. So our sport is what you want to be in terms of the physical side of things. And that's really had a lot of carryover. Now, obviously I've had to learn the nuances of uh, team dynamics and uh, in season, out of season is very, very different in team sports versus individual sports. Um, but I think in terms of pure physical development, starting with the basis of sports like track and field and Olympic weightlifting and cycling and swimming, uh, can really get you a, a long way in terms of understanding how we would develop physical capacities in a best case scenario. Um, so that, you know, that's always kind of been my love is the, that those quantitative performance oriented sports, specifically track and field, but also ones like weightlifting and, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, extent uh, swimming and powerlifting and that kind of thing. Uh, so that has a lot of bearing on, on how I address training with all these other sports, even in soccer. Uh, I've kind of tweaked it with soccer to, to kind of look at it really like this hybrid sport. I really kind of fell into soccer as a as a sport had a guy uh, approach me and said hey can you train our pro soccer club and I said yeah of course I can not <laughs> not really having much experience with soccer and uh, but not wanting to pass up any opportunities quickly made a study of the sport and everything that was involved with it applied my understanding of uh, physical capacities to it and that's obviously morphed quite a bit over time but um yeah, I mean, I, now I have a huge appreciation for the sport and really kind of fallen fallen in love with it, even though I never really played it as a kid or anything like that or followed it really up until five, ten years ago. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of interplay in terms of how they how those two things work. Uh, you know, I think uh, understanding in some levels, 
track and field training and the programming for it is way more complex because you can control so many variables and getting those right matters. Uh, on the other hand, with team sports, you got you have far less than ideal uh, you know variables going on to develop physical capacities, but it plays much less of a role in terms of your overall team sport. So you guys like me have to kind of keep keep that in check or keep that in mind as we go. Um, but then juggling all of the other things, the other confounding factors like match play and weather and travel and guys not all being on the same competitive schedule, even when you got a squad of 20 or 30 guys, is, has been something that's kind of tricky and important to understand. And then um, in terms of like sports science, it's always been a passion of mine. Uh, it, it really influences everything, even even from the, uh, the track and field side, I guess maybe that's a even underlying to that is the reason I like track and field was that it is basically uh, a laboratory for sports science. You know, we get to see what biomechanics are most efficient. We get to see what the physiology necessary to achieve elite human performances from a pure quantitative standpoint. And that's always been really appealing to me uh, as, you know, almost as young as I can remember, I've been fascinated by sports science and asking for, sports science textbooks and journals and things for Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I look back now and I'm like, Oh, that was preparing me to be a coach. I thought it was, I was going to be some elite athlete that never panned out, but I, uh, you know, have this, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in any one of the sports sciences, but I have a pretty solid understanding of, of, uh, all of them really. And I think when you, when you have, a good understanding of uh, a couple different fields that allows you to kind of speak different languages and come up with new ideas and make sense of ideas that maybe people hadn't thought of in the past. And that's one thing that I think uh, I will give myself a little credit for is that um, I have a diverse background in terms of sports sciences, uh, which I think allows people to connect dots. If you, have, if you can do that, you can connect dots a little bit better, which is always helpful. No, and that's awesome. And one thing you touched upon that I would I would love to get into a little more because it seems like there's always some sort of tug of war when it comes to training in soccer. And you said you've made some minor tweaks to how you would handle that based on how you handle your track athletes. Uh, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. Like, Let's sure. talk about some of those changes and things like that because this, this will be interesting to me. So uh, this is a this is a uh, tricky one, and I won't by any means uh, allude to the fact that I have all the answers. But when I started off in soccer, I was I really was blessed in terms of having coaches that had gave me full buy-in. They would let me do whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, and we created monsters. We would regularly have guys who were the fastest guys on the pitch that could turn out yo-yo and beep scores or run 14 K in a game or, you know, soccer guys that would have 36 inch verticals, you name it. Um, you know, I haven't always had that level of buy-in. Um, right now we've got somewhere in between, uh, and it, it works out fine. I realize that that's probably still better than most coaches have it in my position. Uh, there we're probably, with our men's team right now, we're uh, about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the season, and we're seeing them about uh, two two times a week, right? So one proper session where it's pretty solid, 
uh, about 45 minutes in and out. I'm very sensitive about kind of being short and sharp in there and getting what we need done. Uh, maybe one session where we'll lead, lead movement and mobility based yoga type of thing, maybe micro dose, a little bit of body weight training in there. And then for those guys on the team that, uh, can handle it, meaning your non-starters or non-travel dense guys, we're going to do, uh, a third session, uh, not, not a micro dose, but we'll get it, a uh, smaller session in maybe somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Um, and, you know, I think the, the big thing to keep in mind within on the team sports side is that uh, because there are all these other demands, technical, tactical, game demands, travel demands that you don't see in these sports that I'm, you know, originally more familiar with, is that you, I really have to kind of keep my push to train all the time or train harder a little bit at bay. Um, you know, increasingly what I'm doing is micro dosing, uh, try to get in something. We never go, we never go seven days without getting in something, um, figuring out what those things are that will allow you to kind of maintain fitness while reducing fatigue during, uh, heavy match or travel load periods of the season is always real tricky. Um, and we're really going to refine that. Um, you know, so maybe a little bit more use of plyometric activities or maybe biasing perhaps a little bit more toward, uh, concentric strength and eccentric to reduce the soreness that soccer players just absolutely hate. You know, you get a soccer guy sore on Thursday and you just immediately lost them for the season. Yeah. For, as a, as an S&C coach, you're like, it's okay to be sore on a Thursday, but you tell that to a soccer guy or a soccer coach and, you know, you lost them. So, uh, you know, we try to educate. We try to tell them that, hey, the best way to prevent that stuff is just to continue training. Um, so, you know, and that's been that's been a little bit of a not a battle, but we anywhere I go, especially if I'm just kind of an external consultant or something, it'll you got to say, hey, you got to train. Uh, you're halfway through the season. That's not the time to back off. Uh, you've still got 16 weeks, 20 weeks ahead of you. You'll lose what you've developed in three or four. And then if you want to return to it after that three or four, you're SOL, you're shit out of luck because if you stop doing it for three or four weeks because you thought guys need to be rested or fresh and then you return to it, well, now they're going to be so sore that, you know, you can't do anything. They're going to bitch and complain and moan and you, you lost them really. So I think it's real important to always kind of do something, whether that's a little micro dose kind of hidden within the session, the field session, or uh, whether you, you know, maybe it's just a 15 minute body weight strength and you kind of carefully select what body weight exercises you're doing. So you kind of get some form of high intensity, non weight room stimulus into the training protocol. Um, that's kind of been what we've, what we found, get something in at all points in time, never drop the, the single day. You know, I think people sometimes lose sight of the fact that, Oh, we'll just not, not do a strength session or not do a, a physical capacity session this week. Well, really you did more than just drop it for that week because now it's potentially two or three weeks before they see that stimulus again. And then, as I said, you're, you're setting them up to be really sore the next time they do it. And the best way to uh, inoculate uh, players from the soreness that they hate, you know, that a soccer player just absolutely hates, you know, it seems to be a very like a cultural phenomenon. They don't want to be sore at all is to do the things that make you sore. 
So if you do those things on a, on a regular basis, it doesn't have to be a ton, but a regular basis, and you keep the intensity pretty high, then you can maintain those qualities uh, pretty well and eliminate the likelihood for fatigue and soreness when you do have to, uh, you know, that would come as a result of eliminating them or reducing that volume, uh, and you can hold on to those qualities. So it's a little bit of a juggling act. I think that's why in team sports, you, monitoring does become a little bit, a lot more important than say for individual sports. Our, my track guys, I control every variable. I control what days we're going to train, how much we're going to train, what we're going to do on each day from the technical to the, to the physical capacity work, how much sprint volume we're doing. I can, I know how much they're going to run. I know how many plyo contacts are going to take, what those plyo contacts will look like, when we're going to rest, when we're going to test. The soccer guys, I just control a, a smidge of the bigger picture. Uh, they're out on the field, and when they're out on the field, I might have some input in terms of what we do uh, of the fitness work um, and the loads from day to day. But the reality is even if you had full control on designing the session, there's going to be some guys in out of the 30 guys on the pitch that might do as much as 25 30% more as another guy just because – that's how they play, you know. So if we looked at how what their distance was run and their high intensity sprints and so forth, it's just a nightmare trying to kind of match one person to the next just simply based off of what was written on paper. So, you know, monitoring a little bit more on with these uh, team sport guys can be important because you just simply don't have that level of control that you would in these uh, sports like swimming and and uh, Olympic weightlifting and and uh, track and field, and then. Get it in no matter what. It's basically a non-negotiable. We're going to do something every week. Uh, if we don't, I'm, you know, if the coach is trying to say, hey, we need to take this week off, unless it's like somehow just a ridiculous travel and match load, three matches in a week, coast-to-coast -coast travel, that kind of thing, I'm probably not going to, you know, not going to be silent on that. I might say, hey, let's get in 15 minutes or something like that. Just let me come out to the field. We'll do a brief plyo and push-up session or something, something to get it in there where, you know, we're not missing it. Uh, it's basically a non-negotiable. We're going to get it in somehow, no matter if it's 15 minutes or proper session. And, you know, even in those scenarios, you still got guys that aren't traveling that can still be training full on, you know, the guys that don't travel or aren't playing all the time, get them in. It's no excuse for them to, to take the time off like they're playing all the time. They're already on the cusp of being in the team, in the first team basically, uh, in the starting squad. And by not training them, you're making them at a, at a disadvantage to ever get into that starting 11 or rostered 18. Yeah, no. And it, it's funny that you bring up the soreness thing because it's like there's kind of in the 15 years I've been here, you've seen almost like this full pendulum swing is like, Soccer initially was like all about everything and like training like crazy and getting in even three times in season. And then all of a sudden it started to be like, oh, we need to take this out because of this or that out because of that. And now it's like full left to center now where it's like squat on a BOSU ball in season because heaven forbid we, you know, ever touch a barbell, you know, like. The rust on a bar can take, you know, can turn you rusty with your left foot or something. I don't know, but it's, yeah. uh, 
it's it's really crazy. Have you have you experienced anything similar to that sort of pendulum from where you are? Well, I mean, uh, as I said, I've I've been really lucky in that the places that I have worked on staff, we have pretty good buy-in, um, and uh, that's really really helped. But we do get an influx of players from time to time where you know they're coming from different cultures and different teams and. You know, especially our international players where these guys are 25, 30 years old. They've never touched a barbell. They've never touched a dumbbell. Um, and they look at some of the best players in Europe and they say, well, that guy doesn't lift. Why do I need to lift? He's the best player in the world. And I'm like, well, you, you're not that guy. And <laughs> you, you didn't play in an academy from 10 years old. And, you know, you don't have the soccer brain that that guy has. So what can we make up? You can be faster and stronger. If that guy wants to leave some chips on the table, that's his prerogative. But uh, we can pick those chips up and roll with them if we want. And that's what you're going to need to do if you want to play catch up to these European guys or South American guys that are playing soccer from the time they're eight years old and in an academy system and working with world class coaches. And you know, our developmental developmental system isn't there yet. But our physical side of things, that's where we excel. Really, you know, we have the best strength coaches and weight rooms and equipment in the world. And, um, you know, even sports science here is, is, uh, un, unparalleled outside of maybe UK and Australia. So I think in terms of the whole bigger picture, we've got things here where uh, we can deliver in terms of physical performance in ways that a lot of places can't. And yeah, it is a crazy soccer just has this crazy culture. I'll hear some of my peers talk about it, or I'll hear some of these athletes go, Oh yeah. Uh, it's, uh, oh, I'm, re- I'm really, it's Wednesday. I'm really sore after that workout we did on Tuesday. Uh, we got a match on Saturday. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> you're sore on Wednesday for what we did Tuesday, concerned about Saturday. And if we're going to be sore at any point in time, this has got to be the time where we're a little bit sore. So, you know, people, there's like almost this misunderstanding of fitness and fatigue and how you maintain physical qualities. I think Tim Gabbett's work has kind of done a little bit of a, a nice job in kind of elucidating how important it is to train and that backing off is not the solution. In fact, we want to, if anything, we want to train more, um, you know, train more and that's how you eliminate uh, injuries, train more. That's how you eliminate soreness, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that we've always seen from these performance oriented sports like weightlifting and track and field is that look, man, you don't, you don't drop volume, uh, in the, when it doesn't matter, right. You know, we're, we need to train. You got to find these opportunities to train. Training is how you get better. Um, yes, manage fatigue, that kind of thing when it matters. But, uh, if all you're doing is concerned with one part of the equation, which is, keeping fatigue low soon enough, uh, fitness is going to drop, you know, it's not going to take any time at all. And then when fitness drops, there's, you got your hands tied, you know, you either go back to the drawing board and get sore all over again at, at an important part of the year, or you just say, screw it. I'm going to roll with the, the, the cards that I've been dealt basically or cards I've dealt myself mm-hmm. and let, let my fitness continue to drop. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Now, something else that I think would be really interesting for me, um, oddly enough, as we, we say these things about soccer, as a guy who played in college, um, how does your work in track translate 
to any movement work you do with sock? Or how is it different? Different. In so, both ways. So in terms of similar, uh, um, I, I definitely have a track bias. It's very movement oriented. So I do want to see movement efficiency all over the place. I, I look for everything to be an opportunity to influence movement efficiency and technical proficiency. Uh, I want to see guys take a, a good first step. I want to see the acceleration look nice and crisp. I want to see uh, when you jump, I want to see, you know, no bias between right and left leg. I want to see that we land efficiently, that kind of thing. So there's definitely an influence there. Uh, and, and that's also kind of un, uh, underpinned by the fact that biomechanics is probably the science that I'm most well steeped in. Um, you know, I think there's a difference in that, you know, in, in team sports in general, soccer, I guess in particular, we see that, uh, there's so many, so many things that influence performance in track, uh, physical capacity and technique is everything really, you know, certainly psychological is, is important, but, uh, basically if we're just talking about the nuts and bolts of things, how efficient are you? And then how powerful are you or how enduring are you? Whatever, um, in sports like soccer, football, American, uh, European football. Now you're going to see that that's just a smidgen of, of what, matters. So I'm only going to see guys for a total of two hours in a week. And if I've got two hours in a week, I can't work on technique to the same extent as I would with a, uh, with a soccer guy say, so I may have to grow, uh, coach in a group setting, right? 30 guys coaching acceleration mechanics at the same time. Cause I've only got them for maybe one or two speed sessions in the week for, for a total of 15 minutes. You know, that's, so my, my acceptable bar or what I'm thinking is kind of good is, uh, is going to lower a little bit almost, which is, you know, sounds like it's uh, a concession, but I think the reality is that we're still making a massive difference. In fact, we can make an even bigger d difference in the magnitude of their performance by making them more efficient, more powerful. Um, you know, it's taken a little while for me to kind of, I guess, back off on the, on allowing things to be imperfect in that way you know, that we don't have to, you don't have to have guys that are absolute efficiency monsters or the physical capacities and the training plans don't have to be perfectly laid out. You know, I, with some of my track guys, I tend to be a little more OCD about that, getting everything perfect and the right day and the right time and the right progressions and the right loading patterns. Soccer by its very nature is an imperfect sport. It's a hybrid sport so much going on. It's totally chaotic. There's never one play similar to another. There's never one game similar to another. So we just have to control the chaos in, in as much as we can uh, and work around it as best as we can. Make sure that we, I guess, keep pushing the needle forward so that guys are getting getting better. Uh, in terms of the movement, you know, I, I say if we look at acceleration, that's something everybody has to do, whether you're soccer or track or whatever. Uh, my model doesn't really change very much. My technical model doesn't change very much. Soccer guys don't start from a three or four point stance. You're not going to get in those low, deep knee, ankle, knee, hip flexion angles. But the physics don't change. Uh, the physics are the same regardless of whether you're upright or going into it from a rolling start or you're uh, starting from blocks, what changes are going to be the magnitude of things. So 
you know, if we look at the best, fastest soccer players in the world, they do it just like a track guy would. You know, where they see the same exact mechanics pretty much just in a different magnitude. So you get guys who are like Ronaldo and like Bale who are just unbelievably fast and very efficient on their first couple steps. Looks just like a track guy if you had a track guy start from a from a stall, uh, tall starting position. So that's what I'm shooting for. Um, I'm still going to model guys after that. I'm trying to get guys out of this mindset that they have to run uh, like they're on the ball all the time. Like a lot of soccer guys, they just yeah. they're short, choppy, head down, poor posture because that's how they run when they're on the ball. And we're only on the ball by by about three to five percent of a game. So if you run like that all the time, mm-hmm. you're not maxing out your potential because you're only like that, you know, 3% of the game, 95% of the game, you're not on the ball and you're trying to get on the ball. So how do we best make sharp, fast movements? Well, we do it like basically like a track guy, you know, we, we need to have several different gait patterns, I think, and be able to move through them seamlessly. Like you do see your most expert soccer players do. No, that's awesome, man. So then when you're looking at those starts, do you change because of the physics being the same, do you, but the magnitude being different? Do you change any aspect of how you progress that? Or do you just, it's like everything except for getting in the blocks, really? Yeah, so I mean, uh, the basic progressions will be the same. I usually use higher, higher starting positions or start, tall starting positions. Sometimes I'll use walk-ins or jog-ins for a soccer player because – that's really what happens in the in an actual match is that they they walk and then they sprint they jog and then they sprint or they do a change of direction and then they sprint um, so I'll try to incorporate that into the start rather than these static starts that you that what I'd use for a, a track or an American football guy um, but other than that the basic progressions stay the same you know the other thing is with a with a soccer guy you only have a short amount of time and much less frequency to work on these things. So with a track guy, I can work on acceleration mechanics for 50 weeks of the year uh, with a, with a, and do so for two or three times a week. With a, a soccer guy, I may only get one time a week for 10, 15 weeks of the year. Hmm. Uh, and it might only be like uh, you know 10 minutes during a kind of a controlled session. And then I can maybe be mindful after watching them play. I can say, hey, we, remember you know, when you take your first step, do this or – uh, I noticed you were short and choppy again. I noticed you tend to look at your feet when you run. Let's try to fix that when you're actually in the game or the small-sided match or whatever. Um, but it doesn't change. The progressions basically get rushed. You know, so I, if I'm if I'm with a track and field guy, I'm going short to long for the most part. Start short, ex- gradually extend out the distances of my reps. I I have the luxury of taking you know maybe 20 weeks to do that um, with a track guy with a soccer guy that may get condensed down to like i don't know four to six weeks if that's what your preseason is so things tend to get rushed basically you have to rush through that progression not too dissimilar than what you might have to do with uh nfl combine prep you know you basically got guy comes to you for nfl combine prep you got four to six weeks make me a monster in four to six weeks well you just got to do what you can do you got a very constricted time frame um, obviously not going to be perfect in, in how you do it. Part of periodization is getting what you need to do in the time frame that you have. It doesn't matter if you could 
design the perfect program for 50 weeks if you've only got four weeks. You know, you, so you got to put in what you can in the ideal format in the time frame that you have. Yeah, no, and that's an absolutely fantastic point that I think it's overlooked a lot. That people want everything to be perfect, but really, at the end of the day, if uh, if you play Thursday, you better be ready Thursday. Right. So doesn't matter if you know the progression says it has to be 12 weeks if you've got four well you either you either find something else or you alter it right but no mike this is absolutely uh killer stuff man and i can't thank you enough just that insight into because so many of us so many strength coaches want to be track coaches and i mean that as like we like to think that we would be able to handle all of it but when you hear people that are track coaches that are doing it, it, to me, that's that's gold. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and being so open and sharing with us today, man. That, that's awesome. Thanks, Shay. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man. Well, you have a great day, man. We'll be in touch real soon. You too. Thanks. Thanks. And a huge thank you to Athletic Labs' Dr. Mike Young for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, just fantastic stuff. And, and everybody knows I'm a big, big fan when it comes to you know, the, the idea of how track coaches manipulate and handle and look at everything from the skill work to the tactical work to the physical preparation. So seeing how or listening to how Mike does that um, on, a, on a grander scheme of the soccer athletes is absolutely fascinating to me. So Dr. Young, I can't thank you enough for, for being so open, honest, and candid with us today. It was absolutely fantastic stuff. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, Please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, we're just trying to get the best information out there that we can to all the great coaches in the profession. Um, and as always, guys, I can't thank you enough for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.